0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. We are down to the final four teams of football season. Kansas City and Cincinnati rematch last year's AFC Championship. San Francisco is back to avenge their loss against the up-and-coming Eagles. The stage is set, and BetOnline has you covered with all of the props, odds, promos, and parlays for Championship Weekend. Use our promo code Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. You can get a 50% welcome bonus. On your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it is as always a podcast welcome 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 everybody it is a fantabulous thursday january 26th according to my count it may not be that according to your count but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening We know it's AFC Championship and NFC Championship week. And tomorrow on the show, we are going to be joined by the king of the nerds for the first time, Aaron Schatz. For those who don't know Aaron Schatz, he created Football Outsiders. He invented the DVOA statistic. He is an incredible, incredible football mind. I have been a fan of his for years, and he is going to join us tomorrow to talk AFC and NFC Championship games. So... With Aaron coming tomorrow with all the X's and O's breakdown, a breakdown that I could not do better myself, I wanted to take today to explore a topic that I found incredibly interesting last week around football with the release of the AP All-Pro teams, 22 players on offense, 22 players on defense, named to first and second team All-Pro. There's a super interesting trend pointed out by Bruce Feldman. We're going to talk about that on the show coming up. It's the bulk of the show today. And as you probably saw in the title, Devontae Adams works his way into this story in a really unique way. Because one of my biggest takeaways is, God, do I have so much respect for Devontae Adams. Find out why later on in the show. Speaking of Devontae Adams, for our A block, you know how I have been going through some NFL teams and eulogizing them over the past uh, four weeks Really going back to, like, Pittsburgh in week six, because that's when we could eulogize Pittsburgh or Carolina when they fired Matt Rule. Really when any team fired a coach, that was kind of our time to eulogize them and not talk about them for another three months. Because, again, no team that's ever fired their coach for performance has ever made the playoffs. Rich Bisaccia did last year because John Gruden is a bigot. So we've been eulogizing a bunch of teams, and the reason I eulogize teams is because We don't really talk about them much after we eulogize them. Like, once free agency period starts, they might do something noteworthy that catches our attention. But for the most part, I assume we're not going to really talk New York Giants again for the next two months. We're probably not going to talk Buffalo Bills for at least a month when we eulogize them. Probably not going to talk Tennessee, Green Bay, as we did with Juju Talk Sports in our eulogies. We got Baltimore and Cincinnati coming up later on. I mean, I assume Cincinnati's going to lose to Patrick Mahomes, but stay tuned for next week. The point being, usually when we do eulogies, we don't think we're going to talk about these teams again, but here we are talking about the Raiders because something caught my eye that I wanted to talk about real quick in an A block for like nine to 10 minutes because Josh McDaniels and the Raiders have publicly come out and basically been like, hey, we benched Derek Carr. We're protecting his value. He's not going to be our quarterback going forward. Sat him the last two weeks, Carr decided to just not dress or show up to kind of not be a distraction to the team, who was basically already out of playoff contention at that point. Carr released a big ol' statement, uh, one of those that, like, you write down on your notes pad, and then you uh, come back around and uh, post it on your Instagram or your Twitter after you write it down in your notepad. Um, but Derek Carr did this whole big to- uh, toast to the Raiders and love for the organization—a very like classy way to go out. I mean, you know, he wanted to really put out his- uh, not necessarily his side of the story, but Derek Carr wanted to be at the very least transparent with the Raiders. All of this to say, here's the the thing that he said: Raider Nation, it breaks my heart. I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye in person. We certainly have been on a, r- a roller coaster in our nine years together. From the bottom of my heart, I'm so grateful and appreciative of the years of support you gave to my family and me. We had our share of both heartbreaking moments, thrilling game-winning drives, and it always felt like you were there next to me. It's especially hard to say goodbye because I can honestly say I gave you everything I had, every single day, in-season, and in the off-season. Certainly wasn't perfect, but I hope that I was able to leave you with more than a few great memories as Raiders fans." Thank you to the city of Oakland for taking us in. Thank you to the city of Las Vegas for allowing us to proudly call you home. Thank you to the organization, teammates, all my coaches, staff, and everyone that helped me these last nine years in those two buildings. I once again said that it, I once said that if I'm not a Raider, I would rather be at home, and I meant that. I never envisioned it ending this way. That fire burning inside of me to win a championship still rages. A fire no man can extinguish, only God. So I look forward to a new city and a new team who, no matter the circumstance, will get everything I have. Winning a championship is what I always wanted to wanted, and what I will continue to work towards. God bless you all and with love. DC4. And Derek Carr came out this week and was basically like, hey, so... I know people keep asking me to share my side of the story, but uh, his response uh, back on, I think it was Sunday, was, thank you to all the people reaching out trying to give me the platform to tell my side of what happened. It's the hardest thing in the world not to jump on every interview and tell the whole truth. Thank you, but I'm choosing to move on and give our next city our best. And that's super interesting to think about because for years, I've always said that, the leadership thing to do is to take the high road and i have gone back on this a little bit because i read a great book one or it was in a book one time that was talking about how when we swallow our true feelings we sometimes do it to protect ourselves instead of others and sometimes brutal honesty is the better route to go as a leader instead of just what i call being the bigger person and I don't know exactly the line to thread with that and I don't know exactly where Derek Carr sits in this situation. I just find it really interesting that he's choosing to take the stereotypical high road in this circumstance and I don't know if taking the high road is the right thing to do because I don't have all the information here. Is this what are the things that he's protecting? Is he protecting the Raiders? Is he protecting McDaniels? Is, what is he protecting by deciding to not share his side of the story? Or as he describes it, moving on without giving information to either the public or just a broader consuming, um, you know, whoever you want to point to. I'm sure people close to Derek Carr know what the story is and some of the details and slowly but steadily people around Carr are releasing that information. So we get bits and pieces about how him and Josh McDaniels kind of had an issue and they did, they butted heads and Carr's performances ended up butting heads with the organization. And by leading the league in interceptions, the Raiders decided we are not going to move forward with him. And by the Raiders, I mean their brand new general manager and brand new quarterback, the third set of general managers and coaches I said quarterback, I meant coaches. Their third set of general managers and coaches who have tried to move on from Derek Carr and have been unsuccessful in moving on from Derek Carr. If you would have told me back in 2017 that when John Gruden got that job, he would outlast Derek Carr, I simply would not have believed you. Just just simply would not have believed John Gruden would outlast or Derek Carr would outlast John Gruden in Las Vegas. And so I'm interested by this Derek Carr perspective because it seems like he's taking the high road. And I would traditionally be like, that's a great leader move. And Derek Carr exhibits qualities of a leader more than other coaches. I've heard Derek Carr for years be a person who's like, look, I am hugely supportive of my teammates. I'm hugely supportive of the people in the organization and love and care for them because that's what's required of being a leader. And Derek Carr, I remember the Henry Ruggs situation was a moment when he had the viral clip of like, if no one else, I will be the person there for Henry if he doesn't have those people in his life who will stand by him. And that's just a genuine care from an organizational standpoint. And it was actually a leadership lesson that I took as I was venturing and learning about leadership. I'm like, yeah, the people who have done wrong sometimes need people to look after them. And when they are under your care within your organization as a leader, it is your responsibility to at least care about their well-being. And when you, when you are a real leader and you lead with purpose and you lead with care and compassion and lead with empathy... It's easy to care it's easy to love and care for the people who are your followers. And I find this super interesting from a leadership standpoint of as Derek Carr is getting ready to exit and maybe this is just a personal connection to my life. as Derek Carr is getting ready to exit the Raiders, I mean it's pretty much already done at this point, but as nine years of Derek Carr and as my favorite stat points out, the most average quarterback in the NFL, because he the average completion percentage since 2019, in the NFL is 64.8%. Derek Carr's career completion percentage is 64.8%. The average NFL passer rating since 2019 is 91.7. Derek Carr's nine-year career passer rating is 91.8. So he is the most average quarterback you can find. Derek Carr finds himself in a position where even as the most average quarterback, he was the Raiders quarterback for a decade, which is something that Really sets a line there. Like Derek Carr being the Raiders quarterback for a decade sets the, the the bar of like, hey, it's really hard to move off of a quarterback without having a contingency plan. And for all the efforts the Raiders made year after year in what I call QB purgatory, they couldn't move off of Derek Carr, just like the 49ers couldn't move off of Jimmy Garoppolo. They drafted his replacement two years ago. It took two full years for Garoppolo to get out the door in San Francisco. It's kind of wild how that works out when you have a 16th, 17th best quarterback in the league like Derek Carr Bengals, Andy Dalton, Ryan Tannehill on the Dolphins and Titans, Derek Carr and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. But the point beyond that is him as a leader, and for t- you know him being good enough to be a starter in the NFL for ten years. Look, this might be Derek Carr's last year or last two years as a starter in the NFL before he transitions into what Andy Dalton is now, or he just retires. Because he's a backup quarterback or a fringe starter who has to go be a. He, he becomes Teddy Bridgewater, or as the term we call it, bridge watering. Before he starts bridge watering for another team one, two, three years from now, I think the broader point is like he's still a leader of that Raiders organization. He's been around longer than every general manager, coach, player on the team so it's interesting to think about that from a perspective of taking the high road and I really wish I had more information about this story because it's just piquing my curiosity but because I don't have enough information can't really dive too deeply into the background of Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels so if there's good credible in-depth reporting done in the near future I'd love for it to be passed along so that we can follow this story just a little bit closer (coughs) All right, so back when they released the NFL's All-Pro teams for 2022, I believe that was like J- January 18th, I want to say, around the week in between the wildcard and the divisional round. Back when they were releasing the All-Pro teams, Bruce Feldman, who is a really, really great college football writer and journalist. He does TV for Fox Sports with Chris Peterson. You, you've probably seen him on their studio coverage. Uh, he wrote a really good college football book called Kane Mutiny. It's about the Miami Hurricanes of Howard Schnellenberger and Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson. I read it during the pandemic. It's a really, really good book. Uh, Bruce Feldman wrote this story about how the Best stars of the NFL, or the players who make the all-pro teams in the NFL, there's a disparity between the stars of the NFL and the stars of the college football recruiting system, and this is the data that he pulled from the 2022 all-pro teams. Going back to their high school recruiting, which, as most of you know, is done with the five-star system. So one to five stars is how you grade prospects. There's really about 20 to 30 five-star prospects every year. Like, for example, Buddha Baker, in his high school class, he won um, Washington All-State. Like He was the best player in the state of Washington. He was the 29th-ranked overall recruit, the number six-ranked second uh, prospect in the secondary, either safeties or corners. He was only a four-star recruit. Again, the 28th ranked prospect in the entire country. Sixth best of any corner or safety. Buda Baker was a four-star. So we're talking about 20 to 25 total players get to be five stars. These are the players like Jalen Carter, who's uh, the Georgia defensive lineman, who's going to get picked in the top five this year. Jalen Carter, when he was a, uh, a junior in high school, was compared to deron Payne, the first round pick from alabama and was projected to be a mid first round pick as a junior in high school so those are the five stars that we're talking about from when they are 16 years old it is identifiable that they will likely be stars of the nfl or at the very least first round picks or second or third round picks depending on how they're college development pans out. They will get drafted and they will make money playing in the NFL because a team will take a chance on one of those 20 to 25 players who happen to be that incredibly talented. And so defensive players average four and a half stars among the 2022 All-Pro team. So 22 uh, defensive players made the All-Pro either the first team or the second team All-Pro average star ranking between them is four and a half stars on the offensive side of the ball the average star rankings are 2.0 stars think about that the 22 best offensive players in the NFL their average star ranking is 2.0 in 2022 And so Bruce Feldman puts together this incredible piece that's trying to figure out what exactly explains it. And there is no one perfect explanation. He goes around and talks to 13 different people. And he includes an incredible antidote that I'm going to read first and foremost here before we go back to the data. Recruiting almost never seems to happen like this anymore. Certainly not at a place like Alabama. One January day seven years ago, around 1 a.m., Alabama's director of player personnel got a call from the team's new defensive coordinator, Jeremy Pruitt, about some pretty decent Wildcat quarterback a coach had told him about. Jody Wright clicked on the HUDL link Pruitt had forwarded and watched about 45 minutes of film. The more Wright watched, the more intrigued he became. The player was explosive, displaying excellent quickness in tight spaces, and he just seemed to have a sense of where he could feel things around him. Wright hesitated to put this comparison out there, but he reminded him of a quote, poor man's Barry Sanders. The player was from an unfamiliar Oklahoma high school whose games were sparsely crowded. Wright searched for the player on the internet. He was rated a three star prospect, but only had offers from Tulsa and New Mexico State. Why aren't more schools on this kid? Wright wondered. Wright had the Tide recruiting staff splice the film and load it onto Nick Saban's laptop. When he watched it in the morning, Saban liked what he saw. So did running backs coach Burton Burns, who flew to Oklahoma— Burton Burns, by the way, is just a funny name for a running backs coach. Burton Burns flew to Oklahoma to visit the prospect, watch him play a high school basketball game, and learn more about him. Quote, everyone speaks so highly of him as a person, Burns reported back. By then, Missouri also entered the picture and scheduled him for an official visit the last weekend of January. The prospect and his family visited Missouri and then drove 600 miles to Tuscaloosa. Trouble was, Alabama was tight on scholarship space, and the lone open spot was being saved for a prized defensive lineman, Jeffrey Simmons. Alabama was direct. Hang with us. Mizzou is going to wait on you. We probably won't know until about 11 o'clock. On National Signing Day, Simmons opted to go to Mississippi State. Alabama had one spot left, and it went to that surprise Wildcat quarterback prospect. His name, running back Josh Jacobs. He was the last man in for the 2016 number 1 class in the country. It didn't matter that Jacobs was also in that sign- was also in that signing class with the second-ranked running back in the country, BJ Emmons or that the Tide had signed the number one running back in the country the year prior, Damian Harris. Quote, Josh was the same as Jalen Hurts. He never once asked about the depth chart. They weren't afraid of competition. They just believed in themselves. All they cared about was how do I get to be the best version of themselves? So that's the story of Josh Jacobs Again, who made the first team All-Pro as a running back, led the NFL in rushing, and is on his way to a giant contract this year. So that's the story of Josh Jacobs and how a three-star from a no-no, no-name school in Oklahoma ends up turning into a star. What's interesting is the disparity between all of the positions. And there's a couple of interesting trends that uh, I think I'll point out here as we go along. But the first thing that I did after reading this story was does this trend exist across a larger sample size? And so on my free time in the middle of dinner, uh, I went and looked up the 2021 All-Pro teams and then went through all 44 players and their star rankings. Some of them were mentioned by Bruce Feldman, but a lot of them we just recorded real quick to pick up the 2021 um, All-Pro teams and their rankings. So on offense... The first team All Pro, which had five carryovers, most of them on the offensive line. Uh, by the way, just a fun fact, the last three years or last two years, the same four offensive linemen have made first team all pro. It's Trent Williams, understandably, Zach Martin, Joel Batonio, and Jason Kelsey. But the interesting thing about those players individually, Trent Williams was a three-star offensive lineman, twenty-sixth ranked in his class. Zach Martin was a four-star. Joel Batonio was a two-star prospect. Jason Kelsey was a zero-star prospect. Jason Kelsey was not even a linebacker. He played Wildcat or not Wildcat. He played quarterback before he ended up changing to center at the University of Cincinnati. And made five first team all-pros is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer the day that he retires as a center. So Kelsey ends up being the center on, all, on both of these teams as Martin was the right guard, Betonio's the left guard, Trent Williams is the left tackle. Tristan Wirfs was the uh, right tackle in 2021. He was actually a four-star prospect at Iowa. And the other one is Lane Johnson from 2021. Lane Johnson, a zero-star prospect who also happened to become a star offensive lineman. And Chip Kelly has an interesting theory about offensive linemen that we'll get to in a second. But basically, first off, here's the data of all of these players from 2021. Uh, The average star ranking of an offensive player in 2021, and again, five of the players are repeats, 2.45 stars is the average in 2021 compared to two stars in 2022. And then we go to the defensive side of the ball. You have the first and second teams averaging out to 3.6 stars in 2021, which is not as dramatic as the 4.5 star rating from 2022. There's, the, the gap has clearly closed. It's 3.6 to 2.45. If we remove the outliers on both sides, the offensive one doesn't change dramatically. It still averages out to 2.4 if we round up. But, or sorry, to 2.5 if we round up, it still comes out to about the same, give or take, if we remove the outliers. If we remove the outliers from the defensive numbers in 2021, there is a pretty clear discrepancy because that number shoots up from 3.6 to 3.83. So, you see a big jump if you remove the outliers on the offensive, uh, on the defensive side. And the reason that's the case is because there's one clear outlier that's bringing down the numbers on defense in 2021. And that is first team All Pro linebacker and zero star recruit, Shaq Leonard. Shaq Leonard is the only zero star to make the All Pro in 2021 or 2022. Compared to the offensive side of the ball, we already mentioned two zero star recruits, Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson. You know who else is a zero star recruit from the 2021 team? Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is a zero star recruit from Eastern Washington who happened to make first team All Pro in 2021. And on the 2022 team, remember, the average is even lower. They take away the zero stars, and the average goes down to 2.0. However, this year it's 2.45. So even with zero star Cooper Cup, zero star Jason Kelsey, the average actually goes up on the 2021 data set. It's actually a really interesting phenomena. So the data is clear across two years that there is a correlation here. It's not as pronounced as the 2022 data, but if we take the averages of the 2021 data and the 2022 data the average all-pro offensive player has a 2.25, a 2.225 rating, which if you want to round up to 2.23, so be it. We're just trying to make it as thin of margins as possible. 2.23 is the average star ranking of an offensive NFL player, an an all-pro offensive NFL player, and the average for a defensive player, if we remove outliers, 4.17, which is rounded up from 4.166666 going on for infinity. So average offensive player is a 2.22 star recruit. Average defensive player is a 4.17 star recruit. That means we're looking at basically a full two star difference between the average offensive All-Pro player, and the average defensive All-Pro player. And I thought that was super interesting because I'm not too deep into the recruiting aspects of college football. I watch college football more for the entertainment value in the games. I don't have the time to dive deep into recruiting in college football, and it's not one of the things that I'm super interested in. I'd never considered the discrepancies between offensive stars in the NFL— and defensive stars in the NFL. And again, two full stars means these aren't isolated incidents. But if we dig deeper, we can start to find some of these more interesting isolated incidents. And again, there's different theories all over the place. I mentioned Chip Kelly earlier, and one of the interesting philosophies brought forth by Chip Kelly, this is his explanation according to the Feldman article, as it relates to quarterbacks and offensive linemen, uh, which is, Quote, the O-line recruiting rankings are the best crapshoot, says UCLA coach Chip Kelly. The best center in football, Jason Kelsey, was a former walk-on linebacker. Lane Johnson was a high school quarterback. Jason Peters was a tight end in college. Offensive line is kind of the last stop. That's the one position where you really have to project or push people to. When it comes to quarterback and O-line, they're really their own little worlds. And then the flip side of that, which is coming after the Chip Kelly analysis, which is the All-Pro defensive line evaluation history is the polar opposite. There are five defensive linemen on the 2022 All-Pro team. Four of them were five-star recruits. Miles Garrett, Chris Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and Nick Bosa. Aaron Donald, a three-star prospect, was the exception. Quote, evaluating d-line guys is probably the easiest thing said one nfl coordinator who has coached at the power five level recently those are your biggest freak athletes and the best place to put them is near the ball and just tell them to wreck the play playing defense you have to be more athletic than offense maybe other than running back because defense is so reactive and then another veteran nfl scout agrees Quote, your best athletes end up on defense, he said. It's always been if you're not good enough on D line, you're going to end up on the offensive line. With offense, it's more mental and how they think and process. Schemes often vary from high school to the NFL, but the nature of lining up across from another player and trying to whip them is still at the core of what makes a player stand out at each level, said an SEC recruiting coordinator. Quote, D-linemen have to address blocks every single play, and what they are asked to do in college is not as drastically different as the offensive line. So you're watching them do what they will truly be asked to do. So you can see their twitch, their ability to bend off the edge, but they have to constantly do it across from an O-line. And that's really interesting because the discrepancies between offensive line and defensive line certainly make up for some of those disparities. I mean, we talked about Kelsey being zero stars, Lane Johnson, zero stars, Joel Batonio, two stars, uh, Jason Peters, who isn't on either of these teams anymore, but will be a Hall of Famer. He's a zero star prospect. And so it's really interesting to see how those um, those skill position, the, the offensive line and defensive line discrepancy accounts for some of these data points. The flip side to that is when you get into the difference between wide receivers and cornerbacks, which you know, similar skill sets projectability between secondary players and wide receivers is at least a little bit of a comparison, maybe not as much as playing defensive line to offensive line because there's the immediate impact on every play, but wide receivers, corners, and safeties at least have a relatively similar path. So here's what the Feldman article talks about here. And again, the story behind a paywall. It's linked in the description of this episode. If you have a subscription to The Athletic, you can read the full story because it's really, really interesting. Quote, the other position that best tracks from the high school evaluations to the top performers in the NFL is defensive back. Three of the four defensive backs on the 2022 All-Pro team, Derwin James, Patrick Sertan, and Minka Fitzpatrick, were all five-star prospects. Darius Slay, a former three-star prospect, was the other. Before we continue, I'm going to add in the data from the 2021 teams, which has, uh, from the cornerback position a couple of four-stars in JC Jackson, and uh, I'm trying to remember who the other second... So on the first team, it was Jalen Ramsey, five-star, who they mentioned there. Um, Jalen Ramsey is uh, one of the secondary players who made the 2021 team. Actually, they didn't mention Jalen. Wow, Jalen Ramsey didn't make All-Pro this year. I'm actually kind of surprised by that. So Derwin James, Sertan, Minka, and Darius Slay are the players from this year on the All-Pro teams on defensive back there aren't any all pro players from the 2022 team who are on the 2021 team either first or second team the first team corners are Trayvon Diggs and Jalen Ramsey Trayvon Diggs four-star recruit Jalen Ramsey five-star recruit we can add into that list then you have JC Jackson four-star recruit AJ Terrell four-star recruit so the average from that is 4.25, 4.25, three four-stars, one five-star. 4.25 is the average there. In the 2022 team with Derwin James, Patrick Sertan, Minka Fitzpatrick, the average is 4.5, which plays out to the average for the defensive team as a whole. 4.5 in 2022, 4.25 in 2021. That's a, And, by the way, they're all different players. That's eight different all-pro cornerbacks. All of them... With, diff, with an average grade or, or corner slash safety, all pro players, we got eight completely different players coming out to an average, if I'm doing my math correctly, coming out to an average of 4.38, which is 4.375 rounded up. So the average cornerback prospect is a 4.3, the, the average all pro NFL corner is a 4.38 star prospect. Back to the data, or back to the story, coming off of that, quote, DBs have to make plays on the ball and compete with wide receivers, where a receiver can simply just be open and make a catch. If a DB is in man, you see that he has to be able to sink his hips, track the ball, and have good hands to finish the play. And they're isolated and forced to make tough plays, the SEC recruiting coordinator said. So these three points made sense to me. And again, just to kind of conclude some of the data that we're talking about. The average all-pro defensive player is a 2 full stars in high school better than an offensive all-pro NFL player. The average over 2 years for defensive players is 4.17 stars. The the an average all-pro defensive player first or second team the last 2 seasons is a 4.17 star prospect. The average offensive player is a 2.22 Star prospect. So basically you're looking at 1.95 stars of difference, which we can round up and say two in this circumstance. 1.95 to two is not a huge difference. So you're looking at essentially a two st- full two-star difference between an offensive all-pro player and a defensive all-pro player. And the the reasoning for a big portion of this is the discrepancies between defensive line and offensive line. Offensive line is very reactionary. Um, Defense, uh, defensive line—they're mimicking many of the similar skills that they practice in high school and uh, college and the NFL, which is see ball, get ball, and attack. Offensive linemen or attack with the same moves that you might use in high school, college, and the pros. So that part I thought is super interesting. As someone who's not deep in recruiting, it makes up for a, a. big portion of it obviously there's five offensive linemen four defensive linemen right there that makes up 40 percent of your all pro teams so obviously the more players you incorporate the more you're going to see the discrepancy just as much of a discrepancy is The difference between corners and wide receivers. And we just talked about why the corners would be such a case, because it's a very reactionary position. Corners are required to do some of the same skill sets over and over again and be repetitive once they get to the next level. The part that I'm just not able to wrap my head around, even with seeing the data, is why are wide receivers... So low rated compared to corners. Because playing wide receiver doesn't seem indicative of not being able to translate to the pros. A lot of it is scheme, a lot of it is quarterback, but ultimately your route running abilities seem like something that should translate to the next level, and your ability to get open should translate to the next level. So with a small sample size I took the 5 players who made first team all pro the last 2 seasons and looked at those star rankings. Tariq Hill for obvious reasons, you know, fell in the draft to the 5th round of being uh, thrown off the Oklahoma State team for beating his girlfriend, transferring to Western Alabama, then from Western Alabama, getting picked in the fifth round when he could have been a second round prospect. But Tariq Hill, two-star prospect coming out of uh, high school and then ending up at Oklahoma State via transfer. Tariq Hill, two-star prospect. Then you have Justin Jefferson, three-star prospect, which I thought was super interesting because I remember Justin Jefferson being so highly touted when he's at LSU Justin Jefferson was the number 300 wide receiver in his class alone I'm going to repeat that again 300 at the wide receiver position for Justin Jefferson he was the number 300 recruit which obviously lots of teams need wide receivers it's a deep position I just couldn't believe that Justin Jefferson was so lowly recruited coming out of high school three-star prospect then you go to the 2021 teams you have Debo Samuel four-star prospect he's actually the highest of the group so Debo is the one that actually would track for being above the average and then his average is getting weighed down by Cooper Cup, who is a zero-star prospect so up to this point that's four players right there their average comes out to 2.225 which is the exact average of the offensive players in the NFL, which is super, super interesting that that the the first-team All-Pro wide receivers meet the exact average for an All-Pro NFL player. You've got a two-star, a three-star, a four-star, and a zero-star making first-team All-Pro, which average out to the total average for offensive players, which then brings us to the fifth player on this list, and my biggest conclusion that I've taken from this data above all else, other than the intrigue of first team all, or all pro offensive players being a full two stars lower than defensive players on their high school rankings, the biggest takeaway that I took other than the, the big one from this story is I think I may have just found a new best receiver I've ever seen. Because I know it's difficult to kind of calculate who the best receiver is. It's an incredibly thin margin, and we should, we should appreciate greatness while it's here. I've always said that prime Antonio Brown is the greatest wide receiver I've ever seen. Prime DeAndre Hopkins is right there. Prime Julio Jones is the most physically gifted receiver I've ever seen. This is a player that I think might take the cake. Because I literally could not be more impressed with this player who is the only receiver, tight end, running back, or quarterback to make first team All Pro in 2021 and 2022. Three star Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback in 2021. Three star Patrick Mahomes was the quarterback in 2022. Three star Jonathan Taylor was the running back in 2021. Three star Josh Jacobs was the running back in 2022. Two-star Travis Kelsey was the tight end in 2021, uh, or sorry, 2022. Mark Andrews was the all-pro tight end in 2020, uh, 2021. I don't know exactly what Mark Andrews' star rating is because I didn't have to look it up. But basically, you're looking at the only, and we mentioned the four receivers already. So there's only one player of quarterback, running back, wide receivers, tight ends. Only one. Made All Pro first team in 2021 and 2022. They're a two star prospect, number 288 in their class. And not only did they make All Pro in 2021 and 2022 on the first team, meaning they're one of the three best receivers in the NFL two years in a row, they did it on two different teams. They did it on the Raiders and the Packers. It's Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams made first team All-Pro 2021 and 2022. Something Patrick Mahomes didn't do. Something Jonathan Taylor didn't do. Travis Kelsey didn't do it. Justin Jefferson, Tariq Hill, uh, Stefan Diggs. No player in the NFL made first team All-Pro both years at the skill position slash quarterback. And Devontae Adams not only did it, he did it on two different teams. He did it with the Packers, and he did it with the Raiders. He did it with Aaron Rodgers. He did it with Derek Carr. He made it with a team that won 13 games. He did it with a team that won six games. I could not be more impressed by Devontae Adams coming out of this. And I think these statistics might bear out if we're splitting hairs at this point, at least The most sustainable, greatest receiver I've ever seen is Devontae Adams because Devontae Adams, who again is like, he did this also like reaching the peak of when wide receivers are supposed to be good. He's now 30 years old. He did this in his age 28 and age 29 seasons. Devontae Adams made his first Pro Bowl in 2017. Devontae Adams also made first team All-Pro in 2020. I, I literally could not be more impressed with Devontae Adams coming out of this data point. And really, that's kind of the conclusion I want to draw. Because the explanation for why there's such a discrepancy is... Differences between offensive and defensive line and differences between wide receivers and corners make up for a significant portion of the discrepancy. And then for the other positions like cornerback, I mean, running backs being low-star, we've been saying running backs are dime a dozen for years. It's not super surprising that the running back numbers have such a discrepancy. The flip side to that is the quarterbacks who happen to be on this list is three-star Aaron Rodgers three-star Patrick Mahomes, and if you want to go to the second teams, you've got Jalen Hurts, three-star prospect, and sixth-round pick Tom Brady. So, quarterbacks... They don't make sense either, but because there's only one or two of them, it's not enough to really mess with the data points compared to whatever the equivalent of a quarter of a quarterback on the defensive side of the ball is—a middle linebacker. Which again, in the Shaq Leonard is dragging down that middle linebacker average because he's a zero star, and he made it to the NFL All Pro Second Team or sorry, NFL All Pro First Team in 2021 as a zero star prospect from South Carolina State flip side to this whole conversation man it's really really interesting that Devonte adams is like the the most impressive receiver that has ever been in the nfl in my lifetime and i just i know Devonte adams is always there but i think the aaron Rodgers conversation kind of messed with our perception of Devontae adams and the injury in 2019 like Devonte adams in 2018 put up 1400 yards and didn't make all pro Devonte adams Made a Pro Bowl in 2017 with 74 receptions on 900 yards. Like Devontae Adams was awesome early in his career. The 2016 to 2018, Devonte Adams was a Pro Bowl receiver every single year, and then he gets to 2020 when Aaron Rodgers starts picking up his All Pro, his uh, Pro Bowl MVP numbers. And now Devontae Adams is an all pro receiver at 27. And then he does it again at 28. And then he does it again when he switches teams to the Raiders in 2022. And he set career highs in touchdowns in 2020 and 2021. Set career highs in receptions and yards in 2021. Had his almost led the league in yards per reception with the Raiders this year. Devontae Adams is so good and i think even i did not appreciate the greatness of devonte adams when i was going through this data set back in uh well i guess back when it came out i think this data set helped me better appreciate and respect the game of devonte adams so thank you bruce feldman for putting together this incredibly thought provoking Uh, exercise for myself. It was about an hour of research, a half hour of recording, maybe call it 10, 20 minutes of reading your article. This was a really interesting thought provoking football experiment for me. So thank you, Bruce Feldman, for giving me this interesting content. And again, if you want to read the full story, it is available with the link in the description to this episode.